Isaiah 40 starts out, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Now, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah uh, deals mainly with Judah and Assyria during Isaiah's lifetime. And we know how the northern kingdom fell to Assyria, but the southern kingdom was delivered, in part because of good King Hezekiah's faith in the living God. Forty onward, Isaiah is, tr- is acting as if, and, and the preceding chapters talked about the upcoming Babylonian captivity. Chapter 40 onward is, is as if this captivity is going on. In fact, that it's 70 years in. That's why God is speaking comfort to his people. He's, he's, he's acting as if the seven years is up. Um, so in the first 39 chapters, Isaiah acts as God's prosecuting attorney and lays out the case for punishing his people and the judgment that they would suffer. And yet here, he's offering comfort to the same people that were going to be judged, or the same nation that was going to be judged. It's repeated twice. It's double assurance that that God is a God who wants to comfort us, even in our troubles, even in our sorrows. Um, In fact, in the book of Corinthians, we're told that God is the God of all comfort. Um, So he's talking to uh, people who had gotten to the point where God had to punish them, and yet he's also offering comfort. And again, this was hundreds of years before this was going to happen. Now, we're living in a very disturbing time in our history. All sorts of political turmoil. We're still dealing with COVID. We're still dealing with other plagues. Um, We have discord, disunity, and strife. Um, But we can take comfort. We We haven't, at least yet, suffered like the Israelites did. Um, They received double for all their sins, and yet God is now ready to forgive. Praise God that, you know, we might go through chastisement. If we insist on living for the world and the flesh and the devil, God will, and we belong to him, God will eventually get our attention. Uh, When I was a Boy Scout, about age 16, I went backpacking in New Mexico in a scout reservation called Philmont, and we used burrows, or mules rather, uh, to carry some of our stuff on the first couple of days. Now the instructor was, was kidding, but he said, um, you might wonder why I have a two-by-four in my hand. And yeah, we were wondering, he said, well that's to smack the, the mule in the head to get us attention with. Sometimes God has to give us a smack to get us back on the right road. And yet we can take comfort that he wants us on the right road. And when we get there, he's there to meet our needs. He's there to wrap us in his arms, to comfort us. In verses 3 through 5, we see uh, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway to our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked made straight, the rough places plain. 
The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That was partially fulfilled in the Lord's first coming. It's going to be completely fulfilled in his second coming. And we can think of the wilderness as a place and the desert as a place of being alone. A place that's a picture, word picture that God is using through Isaiah of being alienated from God. If you're here today and you're not saved, you are alienated from God. In fact, you are God's enemy. The Bible says so. The Bible says that the reason, those of us that are saved, I trust all of us here are, that we are no longer God's enemy. Why? Because God ended the war. God gave us his peace. It's the Father who drew us to himself. We couldn't get peace without it. And God's peace, peace that is described here in the book of Isaiah, it's a peace that passeth understanding. It's, it's economic peace. It's good health. It's good strength. It's good intellectual, our intellectual needs met. It's everything, not just the absence of war. Sorry. <laughs> um, and it's part of the comfort that God gives to us. Colossians 1, 21, 22. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he, that's the Father, through the Son, reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We can bring comfort to others. We can cry out, comfort ye, comfort ye. We can go in the wilderness that surrounds us. We see in the next verses a contrast that, that people are temporary, but God's word is permanent. It's established forever in heaven. Flesh, it's like grass, it gets burned away, but God's word is permanent. Um, Peter puts it this way in regard to trusting anything or anyone but God and his word. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this word, uh, this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So what's one way we can take comfort? We can take comfort in God's word, that it is established forever. What God says will happen. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Bad things may happen to us. You know what? God did it on purpose. God foreordained everything according to his purpose, even when it seems like it's a bad thing. We know that if we trust God, all things work together for good to those that love him, those, those who are called according to his purpose. So even the things that we think are bad, like the passing of Vicki, we weren't ready for her to go, but the Lord was ready to have her. She's much happier. We grieve, but she's in the arms of Jesus. God is wrapping his arms around Don in comfort for him. We can count on him because he doesn't lie 
and his word stands forever. Verses 9 and 10 talk about, O Zion, bringing thou that bringest good tidings. What did the angel say to the shepherds? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. We can be bearers of good tidings. The gospel literally means good news, doesn't it? Zion is the place of God's dwelling. If we've trusted Christ, you know where God is dwelling? Right here in our hearts. Sorry. He's in your heart. He's in my heart. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is with us at all times. It says, behold your God. Don't be afraid. We're going to take a few minutes today, or several minutes today, beholding our God, our incomparable God, the one that there's no one like him. Don't be afraid. We can share the good news. We can provoke each other unto good works. Sometimes we're pretty good at provoking each other, but we're supposed to be doing it in love unto good works. We can behold, when we behold our God, we can behold the one who has come, and it will come again. We are assured that the Lord will come with a strong hand. We can take comfort in that fact in a number of ways. God rescued his enslaved people from Egypt. God rescued his enslaved people from the Babylonians. And guess what? God rescued us from being enslaved by sin. If we have the Son, we are free indeed. We've been rescued. We no longer have to sin. Do we sin? Yeah. John tells us that if we claim we don't sin, we're a liar. And yet we're not to live in sin. The power of sin has been broken. The power of death has been broken. We have victory, assured, present tense. We're no longer chained to the will of the world, to the flesh, and the devil. We can overcome and overcome our troubles. The Lord God, Adonai Jehovah, the King and the Eternal I Am, shall come. No matter our troubles, Jesus is coming again. He's going to bring justice and judgment. He will make everything right. He'll wipe away all our tears. He will bring his rewards, says this section of Isaiah. God is coming, and he's bringing his rewards with him. He told us, he's told us that he loves us, and his word cannot be broken. His work is before him, and a strong hand will perform that work, his strong arm. Is there anyone stronger than God? No, he's omnipotent, isn't he? If he wants the war in Ukraine to be over today, it'll be over. If he wants to bring revival in this nation today, it could start today, in this place, at this time, not because of me, <laughs> but because his word can empower us. His strong arm is there to lift us up when we fall. Dust us off, start us on our way. In verse 11, we'll 
Pick it up at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. That's a picture of God's loving us, caring for us. The God of all comfort. He's our true shepherd. He's our great shepherd. He's our good shepherd. He will, what does Jesus say? If he has a hundred sheep and one's lost, what's he do? He goes and finds that lost sheep. He did that for each of us. He went and sought us out. God the Father irresistibly draws us to himself. Jesus told us that God knows all our needs. If we have a genuine need, he will provide it if we ask him. What does James tell us? You have not because you ask not, or you ask amiss. You're trying to fulfill your own lusts. Careful what you ask for. God might give it to you. To your regret. So, he shall feed his flock. God is concerned about our physical needs and knows all about them. If we need healing, he knows all about it. And he can heal us. He can feed us. He meets our physical needs. He shall gather his lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So if I fall down here, I imagine a couple guys could pick me up, one by the hands and one by the feet, and carry me off, maybe swing me around a little bit. right? Would that be a very comforting way to, to pick me up? How about if, if, you know, someone came along and put a shoulder in my waist and put me over his shoulder? Well, that's a little better, I guess, but not very comfortable. But if someone came up and picked me up this way and hugged me, well, that's a picture of meeting our emotional needs, isn't it? How often do we need a hug? God will daily hug us. God will daily pick us up when we're crying, comfort us like a mom or dad with a toddler, make it all right, kiss the boo-boo and make it go away. When we feel alone, when we're sad, when when we're troubled, we don't even know what we're troubled about. Does our God know? Can he help us? He's right there. He's ready to listen. He's ready to strengthen, ready to enable, ready to empower, ready to comfort. Did you know one of God's names is Jehovah Shammah? That means the Lord is there. The Lord is always here. He's always there with us. Another name of God is Elohi, Elohai Mekarov the God who is near. The gentle Savior is Elohai, Elohim Chazdi, God of my kindness. God wants us to be kind to us. God wants us to be kind and tender-hearted with each other, to show and, and share his love, his kindness. When our kind shepherd carries us, it's not over the shoulder, it's not by 
grabbing me by the heels and letting my head bounce along the trail, though I might deserve it. He puts me to his chest. He puts me to his bosom. Spurgeon put it this way, to carry is kindness, but to carry in the bosom is loving kindness. The shoulders are for power, the back for force, but the bosom is the seat of love. I see the Lord of angels condescending to personal labor. Jesus Christ himself gathers with his own arm and carries in his own bosom the lambs of the flock. He doth not commit the work to an angel, nor does he even leave it to his ministers, but by himself, by his spirit, still undertakes it, says Spurgeon. Our God knows us intimately and loves us anyway. Knows all about us. And is ready to meet all our emotional needs. We lastly see in this verse that God is a shepherd that gently leads as well. He's ready to meet our spiritual and our intellectual needs. That's what that's a picture of. He brings us to green pastures by still waters. Places where we can feed, where, we, where he can restore our souls. We need to follow the lead of our good shepherd. We have a hymn that says that where he leads me, I will follow. Not so easy sometimes. We need God's strength to do that. He's ready to give it to us. He's promised to take us in the names, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His reputation's on the line. The God who can never break his word promises to lead us into righteousness. We can count on him all the time. He always has our back. Our chief shepherd is a, is a gentle savior for us. But this passage also points at him as the fiery judge who will come for those who reject him as well, but not with comfort, but with hell. We read in our responsive reading, verses 12 through 17, starts talking about who and what our God is. Can you imagine someone who can take his hand and dip it in the Pacific Ocean and still have room for more? Knows exactly how many drops of water are in that ocean? says, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? How often do we try to give God advice? He doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need our consent. But if we let him, he'll lead us. He'll instruct us. He doesn't need instruction. He knew all about the laws of physics before Isaac Newton did. He knew all about how to produce the elements that give us computers that we can put in our pocket. He's the same God that imagine the redwood forest. Well, the cedars of Lebanon would be like it. And if you could burn up all the cedars of Lebanon and imagine all the creatures that are living in that forest, 
wouldn't be enough to offer sacrifice to such a powerful God. All the nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him as less than nothing. Vanity. So God asks a series of questions about who he is and what he does. By the way, counted as less than nothing. Nothing is zero, right? Write down zero and then erase it. Less than nothing. Those people that are troubling to us, in God's eyes, are less than nothing. Can he help us deal with them? I think so. I know so. So he asks a a bunch of questions that the answer is, no one is like our God. He's more powerful than people. He's more powerful than our problems. He's more powerful than COVID-19. God wanted that plague to be over today. Again, it would be done. He has a purpose for it. He's trying to teach us something. I think he's trying to drive his people to himself. He's more powerful than corrupt politicians. He's more powerful than the world. He's more powerful than our own fleshly desires that so easily cause us to sin. He's more powerful than the devil. You know, the world likes to picture God and the devil as being on equal terms. They are not. The devil's a defeated foe. He's already defeated. And he's angry about it. He's a roaring lion. Our God can and will meet all our needs. He's not only really strong, he's also omniscient. He knows everything about everyone. And that could be a scary thought, especially if we're not washed by the blood of the Lamb. As I said before, he knows all about us and loves us anyway. Paul puts it this way, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to be whom be glory forever. I think Paul had this, our passage in Isaiah in mind when he was talking about that. We see some impressive things uh, about our God, nothing, the God who, to whom nothing can be compared says, all nations are as a drop of the bucket. In 2018, the world population was about 7.7 billion, with a B, people. Probably 8 billion by now. We've seen in the news how even a small crowd can be uncontrollable. Our nation has powerful enemies, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, They have large armies and powerful weapons. God's people around the world are being oppressed by powerful enemies. And yet, he says, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. Have you ever taken an eyedropper and tried to even fill a measuring cup with it? Take a long time, wouldn't it? It's a lot of drops in the bucket, and yet, to our God... They're nothing. Like a few specks of dust on the scale, you blow it off before you weigh something. Our God 
can pick up Australia as if it were nothing. The far, uh, I already mentioned about the forests of Lebanon being not enough. There are zero with the ring erased. Less than nothing. Why do we worry about less than nothing? Well, Jesus tells us not to worry. In modern parlance, concerning our troubles, he said, he'd say to us, I've got this. Are we casting our cares on him, knowing that he cares for us, that his peace patheth understanding? All this should cause us to take comfort in him. The same God who says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What's a few moments or a few days or a few years even of trouble compared to eternity? We have to have our perspective right, look at things through God's eyes. Next, God shows us that he surpasses any idol. He points out in other places of Scripture the foolishness of idols. Someone finds a tree that won't rot. Now, he knew it was a tree, right? He cuts it down. He carves it. He, knew that he still knows what it was. And yet he says... That's my God. I'm going to worship that. And that's going to give me things. We think, how utterly foolish. Do you know there's still billions in the world that worship physical idols? Do you know that everyone in this room has an idol that they probably worship? Many of them might worship this idol right here. Spend their days looking at it and probably not reading God's word from it, even though they could be. Idols of money, idols of power, idols of people, sex, whatever it might be, whatever we're putting ahead of God, that's an idol, isn't it? So this God who's beyond comparison is supposed to be fearful in praises. We should be driven, especially if we're unsaved, to fear. And that fear should drive us to him. Even as we are saved, we should still have a healthy fear of the God who is in control of everything. And if he chooses, can make life difficult for us to draw us back to him. We should be moved to awe. We should be moved to reverence and respect and honor, adoration, thanksgiving by our giving him fame or glory. Our God consistently mocks idol worship. He says that those that worship idols are like unto them. We need to put away our idols. And we can take comfort that God loves us and can empower us to do that. If our wife is our idol, we can put her in proper perspective. Money, fame, athletics, whatever it might be, 
Then we see the greatness of God, the creator, the one in whom we can definitely trust. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Verses 21 through 26. Have it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth up them out as a tent to dwell in. It goes on, um, talking about the stars. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold one who, who created these things, and bring them out the host by their number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, no one faileth. Everyone can and should know that God is their creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth its handiwork. Book of Romans talks about there's no excuse for not going, knowing God because one, creation, two, our conscience. And three, for us now, the word of God. Talks about the circle of the earth. Did you notice that? Did you notice that Isaiah knew the world was round? Even if he didn't, the Holy Spirit told him that it was round. Talks about the heavens not being able to contain God. You know, there are three heavens. There's the sky. There's outer space. And then there's the place where God dwells. Let's think about the size of space very quickly. Our nearest star is the sun. That's 93 million miles away. If you were traveling at the speed of a space capsule at 25,000 miles per hour, it would take you 3,790 hours to get there without slowing down, but you'd be burned up when you arrive. If we could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, you'd be there in eight and a third minutes. Pretty fast, pretty long way, 93 million miles. The next nearest star is Alpha Centauri. That's 4.37 light years away. Danger of having a science teacher. That's 5.7 trillion miles. That's, or excuse me, uh, yes, times 4.37 or 25 trillion miles. That's 25 million millions unimaginable numbers, but they get bigger than that. The farthest objects in our sky are 12 billion light years away. That's 68.4 times 10 to the 21st. 20 zeros at the end of that. Not big enough to contain our God. Is he powerful? It says that, did you notice it says that he numbered all the stars and and has given them all names, never gets them mixed up. Trillions upon, when we look up at the night sky, could we count the the stars? If we were patient enough around here, probably yes. Too much light pollution. But even if you could count all those stars, you know some of those are galaxies containing hundreds of millions of stars and that there are hundreds of millions of galaxies? Our God knows every one of those stars by name and will not let them go out without his permission. Our God is transcendent, and yet he's also 
imminent. He's above it all, and yet he's a personal God. He knows the very number of hairs on our head. Unfortunately, some of us make it a challenge for him. I made a a deal with God a long time ago that my hair could be any color he wants to make it as long as he keeps the hair in the head. I thought he agreed, but I don't know. But he knows exactly how many hairs are there and how many are going to stay in. Do you think he cares about us? Can we take comfort in his knowledge? Can we take comfort in his power? Can we take comfort in him? I dare say we can. It should cause us to praise God. The book of Psalms is full of exhortations to sing unto the Lord, all ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. Maybe you're in a period of chastisement right now. It's only a moment. God says, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. The story of an of a elderly couple. She's in, in the right seat, of course. The guy was driving. Well, of course, but that's how it was happening. And he, she looks at him and said, you know, when we were a young couple, we were right next to each other. And the elderly husband looks at her and said, who moved? When we feel far away from God, God looks at us and says, who moved? Draw nigh to me. I'll be there. I'll be your comfort. I'll be your strength. I'll be your hope. I'll be your salvation. I am I always will be. I'm your redeemer. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. Do we get tired of life? Do we get tired of serving? Probably, I think we all do. You know, our God never gets tired. We can call him up, as it were, at two in the morning, and he'll always answer. Always glad to hear from us. I may not be if you call me at two in the morning. I'll try to be. But God will be. Our God is not too weak to help us. Even young people and strong people can be exhausted and fall, but not our infinite one. We might not understand our situation. We need wisdom from on high and and take comfort. God understands everything. Ever had someone tell you, oh, you just don't understand. Kids tell their parents that all the time, not knowing that they really do understand many times. But guess what? Our God understands all the time. Verse 31, we can mount up with wings as eagles. We can soar in the heavens instead of being turkeys on the earth. He renews our strength. Renews our strength. Well, that means that he must have given us strength. At the moment we were saved, we have 
access to his unlimited power. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead is ours. He renews our strength so we can walk without fainting. You know, in the book of Colossians, we're told that we need to walk worthy of our Lord. We're told elsewhere to walk worthy of his love, to walk worthy of our vocation. Do you know we have a job? We're told that we're by grace that we're saved through faith, not of ourselves, so we don't boast about it. It's the work of God. And, why, and later down, why, he tells us why he did it. That we become new creatures created unto good works. Our God of all comfort can enable us to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. He can enable us to walk our walk of life without fainting. Our incomparable God, our Lord Jesus Christ, in Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I make all things new. We can have our strength renewed because he made us new creatures. We're renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created us, says Colossians 3.10. Isaiah has more to tell us about judgment and about our being able to bear the armor of God. We're told that we Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. Jesus included us beyond the Jews. The Israelites will receive a new name from the Redeemer, and so do we. It's a secret name that only Jesus and we will know. Revelation 2.17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of a hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a stone of a new name written, which no one knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. We're promised a new creation that will be so wonderful we won't even remember the old one. Isaiah 65.17, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor called to mind. God's compassion and mercy are new every day. Lamentations 3.22 and 3.23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We have a faithful God. Ezekiel tells us that God's going to give us new spirits and new hearts of flesh instead of stone. That's what he does to us at salvation. There's going to be a new earth where trees will have new fruit each month. Trees of life bearing new fruit each month. You know, we can be figurative trees of life. We can be figurative springs of living water gushing forth words of comfort, words of love, words of salvation. We have much to look forward to. We can take comfort in that. We have so much that we can think of from our God of all comfort to help us each day. That's a deep. Mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. 
Our Father and our God, we thank you for your loving kindness towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That you love us. You know us intimately. You can meet our every need. If we have emotional difficulty, you can help us. If we have intellectual needs, you can meet them. Most importantly, you meet our spiritual needs. We get to spend eternity with you. We'll get to enjoy a new heavens and a new earth. You're all-powerful. You're omniscient. You're omnipresent. You're our all in all. Help us to grow in you in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Be strengthened, renewed, comforted by you, the God of all comfort. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.